Hello, everybody, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It's the first Weekly Manga Recap of the new month, September 2017. It is the sixth of the month. I am Nick here with Chris, and we're going to be talking about some manga today. Yes. What's going on, man? There are no overwhelming technical difficulties as of right now for this podcast. In fact, things are better than they have been for about a year yes. in terms of technical. <laughs> uh, we're actually able to stream through Skype, which was something we couldn't do for a while. We couldn't get the – for some reason, there was just some big issue. I couldn't get my Skype to work uh, with the sound. And it was this weird problem. I could hear everything in Skype, but I couldn't hear people in Skype. And I was like, I don't know what happened after I got a new mic, but that – like, why would that change what my sound – concern was and i tried all these fixes i reinstalled drivers i reinstalled skype i did as many like clean wipes of skype full installs as possible nothing seemed to work and i started like asking the people just randomly about this problem and someone's like so this is like a weird thing go into your uh your sound settings and just make sure that uh your sound card set as your default device because apparently skype's really awful and doesn't know what to do at times if it's not the default. So I went in, changed that, and immediately fixed it. It was a problem that has plagued the manga recap for, as I said, about a year. year. About a year. And it was solved once I knew the problem in 10 seconds, which is a relief and mind-numbingly frustrating at the same time when you're just like, why? Why do you work this way? Uh... I guess we will go ahead and say uh, thank you for your uh, for your service this past year, Google Hangouts. You were very reliable during that stretch of time. Skype does tend to work better with our recordings for various technical reasons, but we will, I think, definitely resort to that, assuming that uh, nothing changes if anything ever happens to Skype again, which it probably will. I mean, it's, it's Skype. Skype. <laughs> it's, going, it's going to have problems. When things go ideally, Skype is the best, but it is definitely not the most reliable program we've used for our recordings. Uh, before we get into the manga, I want to do, I do want to address a very serious point, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try not to dwell on this. We like to, you know, have a good time and try and basically use good times in order to cope with the bad times on this, on this show. Um, but as I'm sure that everyone in the, the U.S. area in general is aware, uh, there is a hurricane that's currently going through the Caribbean right now. Very, very powerful storm. There are people who are, who basically say about Irma that if the categories for hurricanes went further, then this would be a category six, which is ridiculous. Um, it's currently rampaging through the Caribbean islands right now. Uh, I wish all the best of luck to people who live in those areas in the Bahamas and Cuba and Hispaniola uh, and in Puerto Rico right now. The hurricane is due currently to hit the state of Florida and, you know, Especially to the people in Miami, in the Miami area, good, good luck to you out, to you out there. In terms of how this is going to, on a on a more selfish note, affect me, it looks as though my area in Tampa is going to be pretty much okay. Uh, it's not 100% certain because it's still a few days out before we're going to know exactly where it's going to make landfall and all that stuff. Um, so to anyone who's like, "Oh, Nick, are you going to be okay?" Probably. Don't, you know, don't, don't worry about me. You know, you're, give me the standard well wishes and that's about all I'm going to need probably. Um, I don't know how much I'm going to be affected by it because the storm is going to reach here to some extent. I just don't know how much. 
so I will, you know, make sure that if you that provide updates occasionally just to, you know, let you guys know that I'm okay. And if in case I'm left without power for a few days, be aware that that might affect next week. Um, but, you know, don't don't worry so much about me. There are definitely people who are going to be in worse situations than me. Um, and if you feel like giving any support to people, there are ways to know to not just the people who are going to be affected by Irma, but by, to the people that are still recovering from uh, Harvey. So, you know, they, turn your attention elsewhere. Um, but and um, yeah. That's about it. Like, uh, ev- everything hopefully will be okay. Um, good luck, everyone. That said, I think that we're going to focus on more positive stuff right now. Yeah, like how we're going to be reading, uh, Prince of Tenda soon, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to be thinking about. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Ginger Straw Hat in the chat says, you're going to be okay, Nick. You're on a mission from God to ruin Prince of Tennis. <laughs> Nothing will stop me. All right. Uh, we had a really good week of manga this week, guys. It, there were a lot of really good chapters that I'm looking so forward to talking about. To dive right into it. Uh, recap portion of the manga recap. Starting with My Hero Academia, as we normally do, uh, last time Mirio managed to catch up with, uh, Overhaul and his minions, uh, snatched Aerie away after dealing some blows to some of his closer followers. Uh, and, uh, Overhaul is uh, a little bit peeved off to start this, uh, latest chapter. Um, he basically tells Aerie, hey, get back over here. You know, come on, you're just causing trouble. You were born to break people. And there he is basically listening to what he is saying because she's just warning Mirio, hey, he's going to kill you. You just let me go. Oh, be, you know, don't worry about me. Uh, but Mirio's like, no, no, you don't have to listen to him. Again, Overhaul tries to use psychological warfare, uh, saying, hey, you know, your selfishness is forcing me to do this to hurt the people around you. Every move you make gets people killed. Your very existence is cursed. And Mirio obviously gets really pissed off and says, how can you say that to your own daughter? Overhaul says, I don't have children. And uh, he starts to destroy the room that they're in. Uh, ravines kind of open up in the ground. Debris flies everywhere. And he also recomposes it into spikes that converge on Mirio. So uh, a, um, Mirio is forced to hold up Ari above his head while making his, the rest of his body intangible uh, so that he doesn't get impaled. And uh, so, yeah, for the time being, he's okay. Uh, and Mirio is, is quite flustered because he's like, you're actually even aiming for this girl? And Overhaul just says, oh, yeah, sure. Breaking her won't slow me down. If I restore her quickly enough, she can be revived. Even if she's not back to normal, she'll still be useful. Oh, that's it's nice. Pretty, that's you know right along. Remember when we read uh, what was it? The the uh, shoujo series where she was uh an actress. Skip Skip Beat was that it? Yeah, yeah, the first yeah. one we ever did. Yeah, so it, it Skip Beat. There was that dad like went to his his daughter's birthday party and he said, "Thank like, you for being thank, born. Thank you for being born." And uh you know, I think Overhaul just kind of gave us the quote to follow along right with that, where he's just like, "Even if you're not back to normal." You'll still be useful, <laughs> my little stabbed princess, <laughs> ruffling her hair. <laughs> oh, boy. 
So Miria is forced to just kind of evade uh, Overhaul's attacks. While this is going on, uh, the closest minion guy, what's his name? The guy in the hoodie. God damn it. They say his name a few times in this. Yeah. Let's see here. Uh, Corono, there it is. Uh, he pulls the gun as well. And, uh, he's like, okay, I, I got this. I'll seal off, seal off his quirks, uh, if, with uh, one of these, uh, bullets. That way we'll be able to stop him. Um, Mirio, uh, is forced to react because he's being attacked with spikes and he's being attacked by the gun. And, uh, so he's like, okay, he's aiming for me because I dodged two attacks and my quirk's giving them trouble. The fact that he can restore her is really, really is an issue. So sorry about this. No more spikes. And he flaps his cape around himself and airy, uh, which shields him from view. Uh, some of the bullets go whizzing it through his cape, but miss him. And, uh, then he just, just kind of left in this cloaked huddle on the ground and then, a split second later, Overhaul realizes what's happening, but Corono doesn't, as Mirio pops out of the ground and uh, knocks the gun out of his hands. Uh, Overhaul's like, all right, well, that's fine. He's left Aerie behind, and he can't do anything to me if I destroy her. So he turns his attention to Aerie, and Mirio suddenly appears right behind him. He's like, yeah, you're that sort of person, and immediately punches him. He makes his hand intangible as it goes through Overhaul's hand, which is trying to block it, and clocks him right in the face. And Mirio says, The reason heroes wear capes is to wrap up and protect little girls in pain. be great if, like, immediately after, he's like, I could have rephrased that better, but still, it sounded really cool in my head. (laughs) Look, you get the sentiment. It's an awesome sentiment. All right? My power is to phase through things, not to come up with perfect one-liners, all right? Fuck you. Edna Bode from Incredibles comes up behind him and says, no capes. <laughs> he's, he's like, I thought it was to get sucked into no, the No, it's a pain. I need the cape. <laughs> get sucked into an airplane propeller immediately afterwards. Oh! I can phase through things. Why does this hurt? Well, he follows up on this because he ki- he also kicks at uh, uh, Corono, uh, uh Knocks the gun out of his hands again. He he takes the clip out of the gun so that they can't shoot at him anymore. And he says, I watch my enemy closely and try to predict his next action. But you move way better than some two-bit Yakuza thug. You are strong, Chisaki. That said, between the two of us, I'm stronger! (laughs) I fucking love this chapter. (laughs) This beats the shit out out of Chisaki while... Looking down on him for being such a scumbag, constantly lecturing him. He keeps on going on to say, you won't lay another finger on her because I'm taking the both of you down here and now. This is your loss. But that said, uh, we start to get a bit of a flashback from Chisaki's perspective. Um, and uh, he says, like, hey, you don't get to call me that because I've abandoned that name. We get a flashback to um, him encountering someone else from the from the Hasekai, basically telling him that, hey, I'm taking over. And uh, the guy said to him, hey, you know, the plan that you mentioned, you're obsessed with it. You're straying from humanity means the end of gangster chivalry, Shisaki, and people won't follow such soulless heresy. Well, it turns out he was wrong, I guess. 
We then get a bit of a checkup on uh, Nemoto, the truth uh, quirk guy. Um, but and it's but we get a narration that says, "Oh yeah, he was really beating the crap out of by Mirio, but the reason that he stayed conscious, the reason he managed to drag himself forward." And we get an explanation from him, which says, whenever I would try to get the truth out of people, I always find out that they're lying. When I ask why they lied, they get flustered and push me away. All I wanted was a friend I could trust. And apparently that person you could trust was Overhaul. Because he said to him, it's reassuring to have you by my side. And apparently he was telling the truth when he said that. And so Nomoto is like, I have to stick by my master's side. And he comes out of uh, this little tunnel, I guess, that he was in. I'm not sure. How that... uh, I, I think it's sort of like meant to be like the since everything's been turned into this chaos battlefield, it's sort oh, of like a okay. crack in the valley that's been created. Of course. Um, and in res- response to citing him, Overhaul throws uh, a little case of bullets to him. And uh, he's, he loads it into his gun and uh, takes aim at Mirio. So just when you think things are going to go perfectly, oh, well. Uh, so it's a crazy awesome chapter. Uh, you know, we, we get that, that awesome shot of, you know, Mirio protecting Aerie and having his big speech and, you know, clobbering Corona and then game over and kind of laying spec down Shisaki. So you get that satisfying, like, hero beating down moment. But, uh, then we get this, this brief snippet into the past of, of Overhaul, which is important. We don't really have the full story for him. And I don't know if we have the full story even now. I think there's still elements of this we still really haven't figured out. Uh, also, I don't think this is a situation that, like, Overhaul is done yet. I, I think this is a character mm-hmm. with at least a little bit more to go. Uh, but I love the notion of making it so that his, at least these two underlings, they really feel like they are going all out to try to uh, help Overhaul get the victory here. Like, Corono, mm-hmm. even after he gets clocked a couple times, he still has that second chance of going after the gun and trying to get it. And you can see he even yeah. like, apologize for not. But seeing this guy, like, crawling, and you can even see tears, like, going out of his, like, uh, his mask, showing just how so desperate. So determined. He's so dedicated. and clawing. Yeah, like, he has that much devotion. And there's this super cool moment where he's just like, I have to stick by Master's side. Comes out of that fucking shot right there and immediately you see Overhaul toss him these bullets. He grabs them and just the chapter ends on that cliffhanger of shoot him. And you can see Mirio did not expect he was there. Doesn't like you still have to say, you're like, is he going to know how to react to it? And if he does, even if he does like, you know, make it so the bullet goes past him, does it? provide some opening for overhaul to then take the lead because right. we've seen overhaul just needs a second on you to just obliterate you so who knows i mean this this could be a pretty a pretty sad time for for Mirio coming up ahead but i mean it's a great way to like kind of build this chapter and make a kind of an exciting setup for next week um i don't know what's gonna happen well yeah because i mean with Mirio's ability, it makes it kind of unpredictable if he's going to get shot. You know, maybe he'll, uh, maybe he'll turn intangible and something unexpected will happen. Maybe the bullet will strike someone else. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll hit uh, Overhaul. Maybe it'll hit Airy. Uh, who knows at this point? This chapter itself, there was a lot of chaos going on. Uh, things happening rapidly. 
Uh, it was a surprise almost every other page. And uh, so it's kind of difficult to predict where this one woman is going to go as a result of that. So I'm digging it. But I'm, gl- I'm glad that we got, uh, at the very least, this big heroic moment from Murio. Uh, some of the lines that he said were, were kind of awkwardly, but the sentiment behind them was really cool. So. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, uh, I'm fine with it. I think it's a hard sentiment to express without it sounding at least a little dorky. And I mean, mm-hmm. come on, it's, it's, you know, this is superhero He's a dorky stuff. guy anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's superhero stuff. They're all pretty dorky when you get right down to it, so. And, uh, but I do really like that moment where he's clobbering on Overhaul and he's like, I know that you're strong, Overhaul, but I'm stronger! <laughs> I like how he also knows exactly what Overhaul's going to do because he just yeah. expects him to be that much of a lowlife. You're low a scumbag. Yeah. I know that you're gonna, that you're gonna go for the weak, for the weak girl in danger, so that's why I tricked you. <laughs> Uh, I am kind of curious about something small off top, well not off topic, but small kind of tangent. Uh, with the flashback with Chisaki, we see that they don't even show his face then. Um, mm-hmm. they, they still have that mask. I don't think there's a secret or anything behind it, but I wonder if this is some kind of like overall statement that's supposed to be made through My Hero Academia that villains, I guess, hide their face. Because he's, think about it, most villains have had an abnormal kind of face, you know, uh, Shigaraki has the whole hand over his face, all for one, wore like a giant mask, like fucking mm-hmm. breathing apparatus thing, Stain had no nose, um, Kira, or Kira, the fucking portal dude just has a giant void where his face is, Togi even has her breathing mask which he needs to. Kinda curious to see if there's something there, just a comment on the thread between them, but. I think it just helps to make him look menacing, honestly. Yeah, very possible. Okay. All right. So with that one done, let's move on then to Food Wars, Shokugeki no Soma. Unfortunately, we don't have an Astro chapter this week. Okay. So Food Wars, it's chapter 229, the third bout. Last time we got the uh, revelation that Soma, Megami, and uh, Takumi were going to be the next ones up. Uh, they have a day-long break, basically, to... Uh, kind of catch their breath uh, before going into that, though. And uh, we don't yet know who is going to be uh, in the uh, that they're going to be going up against. But we do know that uh, uh, the three people among the among Central who could be in the previous bout are heavily exhausted. Uh, so we get a little bit of a catch up with uh, the members of the resistance, just kind of like conversing with each other. Um, you know, we see like Takumi is deep in concentration. Uh, Megami apparently, uh, is practicing calligraphy with Hisako in order to distract herself. I think that's what she's doing. Yeah, I, I think they're supposed to because she's so nervous. Like they were like, we need to have you give an outlet to your fucking angst and fucking nervousness. <laughs> is it cooking at this point? So fucking, I don't know, calligraphy, some shit like that. I thought it might have had something to do with the whole, you know, make the symbol for confidence on your hand thing, but she's just, like, doing calligraphy on the papers while Hisako coaches her, so I don't think that's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Is that supposed to be the kanji for confidence? I don't know kanji. It looks like... Uh, I don't think so. It looks like tent, so enter, I think? Hang on a second. I took a very brief, like, uh, Japanese lesson it vaguely looks like a tent, which is supposed to be enter, I think? I don't know. Well, it's the kanji for... Oh, it is is a 
that is the thing that she's doing. Okay. She's doing the she's doing the first symbol in the kanji for person, which is what you do in order to gather confidence. Okay. There we go. We learned a thing today. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> Let's promptly forget it and not remember it when this next comes up. Uh, Nick, what's she doing? That's a fun oh. <laughs> That's a funny looking upside down. Why? Oh boy. Um, meanwhile, while that's going on, Soma is playing some sort of card game with, with, uh, with Alice and, uh, with, uh, Kurakiba. I have no idea what game they're playing, though. I have done. Um, it's some game, though, where you could be a real fuck, cause, uh, Kurakiba is just like, Miss, you're deliberately blocking the Queen of Diamonds, aren't you? He's just like, yeah, pretty and, much. <laughs> and she's just gonna go, do, 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 do. <laughs> Uh, anyhow, um, we got our title page, blah, blah, blah. more conversation going on with, uh, like, Arina and, uh, Ikumi and, and such. Um, th- th- there's a little bit of, uh, angst going on with Hisako because she still blames herself for being defeated despite going through the study session with Arina. Um, and, uh, then it's like, oh, it's about time for, uh, the car to arrive, and so people should be arriving for us to compete with. Uh, the first person that they see is Momo, the little girl, uh, who carries the stuffed cat around. And, uh, then we get, like, an explanation, because Momo says, oh, yeah, you know, the, the, the other two that are actually going to be competing are at the venue already, uh, and, uh, Sukasa and Rindo are staying behind. And we get shots of them and their states of exhaustion, and, Two things. <laughs> One for each of them. One, Sukasa is like posing for some sort of like fifty shades cover or something like that. He's got his legs crossed over each other. And he's just kinda like this. Uh, I'm tired. Sukasa looks like me after like a seven like a an eight hour work day and then like a hard workout afterwards and then just depression finally hit and I'm just like there with a like a vodka and it's just like I don't know what's gonna happen tonight. It's gonna be a real crazy ride. You're just like, dude, you cooked. <laughs> like, I get you're tired, but <laughs> this is such a like dramatic way of being like. <sighs> that was a really good fucking souffle. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> then they've got Rindo, and Rindo is in a slightly more natural state. She's now cuddled up in a blanket, but she's in the corner next to her bed instead of lying. <laughs> There was a, a joke someone just linked that I guess um uh Kuga when they were in that uh Hokkaido spot and it was out in the stove, he's like, Ah, you really don't do well with the cold and he made like a reference he's like, Yeah, you should see Rindo. When she gets cold, she's like a lizard, she literally just stops moving. <laughs> and it's like that exact same pose too, where she's just like hunt like hunched down on the ground, like <laughs> wrapped up against herself. So Yeah, I guess she does that a lot. And, uh, then we get an explanation that Saito is, uh, like, oh yes, he did, uh, Mizugori cold water ablutions last night and this morning so that he will be sharpened in mind and refreshed in body. <laughs> like, well, history is old fashioned, I guess. Mm. I like it as an example. I do think that, like, I, I, I have to suspend my disbelief here for all this because it's like, this whole fucking, like, they're so exhausted from cooking they can't compete thing is just, like, full of plot holes when you start to look at it. You're just like, I mean, I get why maybe Rindo would be that tired out. She was against, like, the toughest possible opponent for her. Mm-hmm. But, like, I mean, 
Somba, I guess, isn't, like, tuckered out at all from his first match where he kind of had to, you know, put everything on the line. Like, there's just a lot of, like, weird inconsistencies to this. Like, I guess that, you know, I recognize Kuga was a slightly tougher opponent for you. Megashima didn't have any issue, but I guess he was just fighting that random fifth seat who nobody gave a fuck about which anyway. Also se- which also seems to be why Ishiki is perfectly fine. He just completely obliterated the Rondo guy. Yeah. Uh, Momo starts giving nicknames out to the members of the resistance. Like, he catches them off guard first, you know, cause Tukumi's like, huh, it's kind of weird that, weird that he did that. He's gonna, you're gonna get like sick if you splash yourself with water in the cold. And she's like, oh, don't worry about it, Takumian. Somyan will be fine. He's like, what? We're talking about, yeah, that's your name now. See, I like cute things. I like them a lot. Out of all the food in the world, pastries and sweets are the cutest. That's why I'm gonna be a patissier. And if I have to talk to people, then I want their names to be cute. So I make them cute. So you're Isamyan, you're Nikumyan. Uh, it's really easy if you've got names like that. Oh, you're Soma. So let's see. It's, I can't call you Somyan. So you're going to be Yukihyan. And they're like, okay, this is a little awkward. And Ishiki is thinking to himself, it is true that Momo Senpai loves cute things, but to her, enjoying them means to look down on them. In the time we spent together on the Council of Ten, I noticed she only ever gave cute nicknames to people she saw as inferior to herself. She's looking down on all of them, Nick! All of them, yeah. But I like how matter-of-fact that she is about it. She's like, I like really cute things. So you're Somyan, and you're Takumyan. It's not like Yachiru was in Bleach when she gave nicknames to everyone, because she was like, you're going to be this name! No, she's just like, I will give you this cute nickname so that you are easier to to deal with. Yeah, to belittle. Uh... I wish she had said American flag bikini nyan. I don't know who bikini nyan is, so. American flag bikini nyan. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm going to be very curious for how this character ends up going because this is an archetype that I've never been a particularly big fan of. Uh, the looks like they're seven years old, but is actually of like legal age, but they act like they're seven. Is just like a trope of mostly. I think I see it in uh, Japanese media. Mostly, yes. Uh, and I found I adore when they when they fuck with it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. One of the Tales game had a character who looked really like who was like this. Like, oh, she looks like she's like eight, but she's actually like four hundred years old. But she was just this bitchy, fucking sardonic, like just complete sass machine who was just like, oh hey, you fucked up again. What a revelation. You're pathetic, and no one loves you. You're just like, why? At the- why? <laughs> Stop! My heart! <laughs> but the cute, the ones who it just does it for like the cuteness factor, I-, I don't know. Those ones sort of bother me a little bit. I do find it amusing though. If you go back and read, uh, uh, Food Wars from the beginning, uh, you can see that she was intended to be a character from the very beginning, but she was actually included amongst the first year students, her design. Hmm. You can see a girl, little girl carrying the exact same bear in the entrance exam. Where, you know, Sensei Mon gave his big fucking diamonds and rock speech. Hmm. Uh, that's actually a big thing with Dude Wars as I've gone through and reread it in the, the origin chapters. You can see a lot of the designs there. In fact, Julio, the yeah, guy. I was, I was going to bring that up. He was airing his assistant in the, uh, in the pilot chapter. Yeah. There's a lot of like little small design commonalities you can see all throughout the like opening chapters and stuff you look back. Yeah, so you can definitely tell that there were ideas for characters uh, a long time running that uh, they were just, I guess, looking for places to use them in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, the last person that Momo addresses is Megami, whom, of course, she does Megami on. And uh, she says yeah, quite ominously, good luck today. Uh, then, you know, get a bit of a t- uh, time jump to everyone being in the hall, getting ready for battle. We get a confirmation that it's going to be Momo along with uh, Somei and Azon going up against Tak Takumi and Megami and Soma. I like how for no particular reason Momo, Momo is just throwing her stuffed cat up in the air, just juggling it for no discernible reason. <laughs> That cat is my favorite part about her. That fucking yeah. cat stuffed doll. That um, that thing's gonna go places. I can't wait to see what that thing does next. It's gonna be the most popular part of this uh this fight. Of the cat is the one that actually gets to have enjoy the food gasm scene when it comes time for it too. Like she tastes it, and it's the cat whose like body is like rippling backwards, like ah, making me salad was so good. Stuffing, shooting out of it and shit. I'm going to have to just listen to the recording and find out what kind of thing you went on about. Everyone is a little bit nervous about Megami's nerves, uh, obviously. Uh, Takumi uh, checks on her as they're heading out, and uh, he's like, you know, are you okay? And she says, hey, I volunteered for this. Uh, I can find a way. I know I can do this. I mean, I'm pretty sure. Maybe. I don't know. Ah! (laughs) This devolves immediately. Uh, Erina gives the last bit of a pep talk to the three of them, just says, hey, you know, Tadakoro, Aldini, yeah, you two, you're here, good luck. So, aw, unity. That's yeah. nice. Uh, and we get confirmation of what the matchups are gonna be. First is gonna be Soma versus Somei, and it's gonna be Takumi versus Azon, and Momo versus Megami. All, to- all together, this is probably my ideal matchup. For this uh, this round, yes. Uh, if you gotta have these three going up against these three, I was really just going like, please just don't give us Azon versus Soma again. <laughs> what I love about it is, and this is like the the wrestling fan in me, is you could book this match so easily. Like Azon needs to win this match to get that rematch against Soma. That's his that's his entire driving force right now. So you're able to create an entirely new feud out of the basis of an old one right there. Right, you know? and two guys that have existing rivalries with Soma, wanting to show that you know, you know why, that 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 common thread exists between them, whereas Soma's got Some, who is a guy is a guy that you know beat down a person that he invited in, and then you've got Momo and, Me- and Megami, and honestly, the story there is just the same one that Megami always has, but it's always fun, which is just her trying to prove herself against someone that it seems as though is completely superior to her. Now, if you were to look at this card, what matchup do you think is the most likely to go Central's way? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's really difficult. Um, I think the least likely is Azon winning. I would say But honestly, I really don't know between uh, Momo and Somei. Um, because we've already seen Soma in action once. I don't know if we need to see him again, and also he's going up against the main character. But I really feel as though you kind of need to give Megami her chance to shine. And a lot of people are kind of calling the twist that Megami's going to win and Soma's going to lose. But, hmm, I don't know. It's a tough matchup. It'd be, it, it would be almost too predictable to have all of Central lose here again because then it would really force, it would just be Rindo and Sukasa left for the rest of the, you know, tournament, which, you know, you could build the monster rampage from there that are just so unstoppable, but 
Also, you would have had three nil, three nil, three nil all yeah. pro. Yeah, I'll be curious because I think, even though I agree with you, I think the one least likely to win would be Eyes on. I could see them still finding a way to do it, especially if Soma wins. You do put the idea out there like Eisen's doing everything he can to get that rematch sort of thing. Sure. Yes. Shows that he, uh, you know, when he's not just kind of taking things for granted, that he can actually, he, like they built him up to, uh, during his match with Soma, that he's one of the best Shokugeki chefs out there. Yeah. That's, you know, how he built his reputation and joined Central, so. Um, there is a little bit more, uh, stuff going on in this, uh, in this chapter. We do get one more final big revelation because, they're like, oh, you know, Momo Senpai is being challenged by Megumi Tadakoro. Oh, you're just giving up on this card already, rebel idiots! And everyone's like, how dare they think that that lower tier chef could challenge Momo Senpai, a commoner challenging a member of Central. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Megumi thinks to herself, okay, if I don't panic. Everything's going to be okay. I had the trip to train. I had Chef Jojima and Chef Jorichiro, who were really good teachers. And not only that, but we get a flashback to several weeks earlier in Moon Shadow's kitchen car, where she was uh, invited by herself to the kitchen car. Uh, and then when she showed up, she was like, where is, is anyone here? The door opens up and who should come in? But Chef Shinomiya. For a special training session. I love this. I, you know, this is a week of so many great chapters, and I really am going to struggle when it comes down to the end of this picking my favorite. But if you were to pick a favorite, like, end of the chapter, like, and we just talked about how My Hero had a crazy, chaotic end where you don't know what's happened. I just love the end here of, like, Megami turning around, Seth Shinomi is there, and he's still, like, got that attitude, like, sup, slug, you haven't gotten kicked out yet? Nah. But we know he's not that same person, but we also know he's not going to cut corners. Like I, this is a fantastic relationship to touch upon again, because that was such a huge thing. And we've seen how Shinomiya has changed since then. And we really want Megumi to have her big moment. I, I think I mentioned it on Twitter and someone said it had been two years since Megumi has had like a spotlight moment, really. I think that this is actually now the more I think about it, I think that this has to be, Megami's win because there's only so long that you can have her get by on, oh, she lost, but she showed great flashes of potential. Can't do that forever. She's got to win the big one at some point. Yeah. This, this to me is maybe the one match I, 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 I want to feel as a hundred percent certain on as possible. Um, and I, I if love she the loses way- this one. Then Shokuyaki no Soma yeah. is not ending on this arc. <laughs> yeah. Just get out, just get rid of her at that point. Like, like I, I guess you could rebuild her up towards the end. But this this is exactly what we need to give every piece of justification in there for why when she puts everything into it, she is a top level chef. You know, this is this is the sort of character that would bring that out of her. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm really curious to see what sort of interaction they have and, uh, see where they go it's from the there. First time that we're going to see them interact since that fateful Shokugeki, which, um, <laughs> a little bit of context. A few weeks back, I saw a post that Jeff made on, uh, or a series of, of posts that Jeff made on Twitter, which, uh, was like, you know, 
people talk about how uh, Shokugeki no Soma has equal opportunity fan service, but I'm pretty sure that it's not. And I was like, huh, it'd be interesting if if someone charted that out. And so I started rereading Shokugeki no Soma in order to do that. I'm about halfway through. Um, <laughs> but I get, but I was mostly just kind of like skipping through to find the fans, fan service examples so that I could document them. But then I got to that part in the manga and I was just like, no, I just have to reread this because it's so good. <laughs> and like looking back on it now, years later, it is still such a good freaking little mini arc that happens when Shinomiya kicks out Megami and they have the Shokugeki in order to get her spot back. It's such an incredibly emotional ride. If you haven't read in a while, you should go back and read it. It's really good. And we haven't seen them interact since that. So it's going to be crazy to see that happen. Shinomiya is probably one of the most underrated, like, best parts of Food Wars as well. He's been a surprisingly, like, interesting character with, like, a kind of unique arc to him. I don't know. He does pretty well in those character popularity polls. Does he? He's handsome. There's so many handsome little boys, though. Like, you know, what's, uh, what's, you got so many, you got fucking apron naked dude and, uh, big buff boys and scruffy hotties and (laughs) chiseled beefcakes and all those sorts of things. Scruffy hottie. (laughs) Oh, Miss World Trigger. All right, what's next? Uh, Uh, Dr. Stone. Okay. Right. Time uh, to get st- 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 stoned! You almost had like a down pitch effect on your voice there, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do for this. Z equals 25, by these hands, the light of science! Uh, last time, uh, Senku had found a way basically to just mass- to get, get electricity going. He magnetized some pieces of metal, uh, using a lightning storm, which severely freaked out Gen. Uh, the magician mentalist guy who has kind of joined them. We see a bit of the aftermath of that going on. For example, uh, Kinro is very upset that uh, his spear has been completely destroyed as a result of being struck by lightning. <laughs> I love that these two have become such a, like abusing duo in this series that, like, they didn't get their own arc, like, chapter thing that was supposed to describe. They've just been present throughout it, and we've formed such a unique comedic pairing between the two that they just kind of are, like, they're, like, bickering brothers, essentially. I think they are. Well, they are brothers. brothers. Yeah. So, like, I just love that relationship they have where he's just like, where'd your spear go? Is it gone now? Bump, 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 and stop away. (laughs) I'm like, oh, man. I hope these guys all gather together and they decide to play football. I... I am fairly confident when I say that I think that Dr. Stone does pissing off a violent character comedy better than any other series right now. (laughs) Between this and the stuff with Kohaku. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Actually, let me see if I can pull it. Shinomiya was sixth, by the way, in the most recent character popularity poll. Okay, makes sense. He did have a spinoff series, so he might not be underrated, but I guess... uh... Properly used. Maybe he's the most properly used kind of mm. character in Food Wars in that he, he doesn't get overused. Yeah. Um, so, meanwhile, Senku and Kohaku are uh, handling the magnets, and Kohaku's like, Senku, I fear our attempt to make magnets has failed. She's holding them up. They're not coming together. There's a force <laughs> pushing them apart instead. He's like, <laughs> so, uh, sweat. Boom! Ah! <laughs> What's happening? His fingers between <laughs> The most Looney Tunes opening to a chapter. Uh, so again, it's like, all right, 
you've got the, your uh, path set in order to harness electricity now, but what are you going to do? Where is the rest of your power going to come from? Is it going to be thermal power, wind power, nuclear power? And so it's like, nah, manpower. And Chris, <laughs> he's back. <laughs> I love that it's a, the a, master of strong men has returned. <laughs> I love that it's a chapter or a, a, a issue that's really hyping the return of Kenshin into Shonen Jump, and I was just like, "Oh my god, Karina came back in a cameo panel with Doctor Stone." <laughs> I love him. Oh man, wearing his freaking Daemon Devil Bats jersey, no less. Too. <laughs> well, I, yeah, you got to do that. Come on. Oh, boy. So, uh, Senku, uh, directs people to just start getting, you know, setting up, you know, a sheet of copper, stretch it out, get a disc ready, and all this stuff so that they can get a, uh, a, a, ma- a hand cranked dynamo ready. A really, really large one, too. Meanwhile, his cheeks and lips are swollen up, but they're like, what's wrong with you? I'm a, I've got lacquer poisoning. <laughs> it's completely fine. Two panels later. <laughs> It's taking time. He's, he's, he's well, it's taking time, but they, they make this big deal about that. And he's only he's only making the weird face for about four panels. <laughs> I just like that nonchalant way of expressing it. Got lacquer poisoning. Like that sounds bad. He's like, nah, that'll be cool. <laughs> fine. Two panels later, see him fine. Yeah. <laughs> so they've got the dynamo all set, and they're like, okay, we've got to have these two discs turned at once, which is going to be pretty difficult, and they'll need two people to do it. And the, and Chrome's like, yeah, it'll all fall to pieces if they don't sync up. And Sig is like, yes, where will we find a physically capable pair who can move in perfect unison? And they're like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, th- I love these two at this point because their facial reactions are great. I love like the one brother's like in, un- in wonder and awe and the other one's just like, what is this? <laughs> like he just has this face of just <laughs> stone faced unimpression. Like just like, what? I don't. All right, if it gets me a spear. Yeah, yeah, and Gen's like, oh, everything is wonderful in scientific society. We have all these wonderful devices, and we can make gold and silver spears for you. We can even repair them, right, Senku? And Senku's whispering like, no, nah, it's actually really tough. Do you even know how to do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> but they convinced them to do it, and uh, the two of them, sure enough, were set about cranking this thing, uh, pushing themselves to the limit in order to do so. And, uh, they, it works out and, uh, they harness electricity and, um, by setting, uh, bamboo fiber into a leaf, uh, hooking up with copper electricity and stuff and electricity and stuff, um, Senku makes essentially a light bulb. Uh, and they get, they do a little bit of a thing where again, it's like, oh, Edison made with Japanese bamboo. It's Edison's light bulb. They go on this whole thing about Thomas Edison, and it's like, no, no, Edison was a weird fucking patent whore. Sick <laughs> <laughs> so, is like, in our days, there was no darkness because light bulbs eradicated darkness over the world. With old man Edison's incandescent bulb, we conquered all 24 hours of the day. With the power of science, humanity triumphed over the dark. This light, for the first time in 3,700 years, though it didn't even last a second, burned forth like no fire ever could. The bright white light of science. And it is a really freaking cool panel that they've got uh, with uh, Senku 
just creating the light bulb in this new time. It's, you know, just him staring in determination at this thing that he set up, holding the wires to it and the light that lights him up, casts really heavy shadows on himself and Chrome. It looks really cool. It's the thing that all manga needs to do is convey. It was just shown in manga, like this sort of series. They need to kind of convey passion. That's one of the most important things. Even when you aren't necessarily totally interested in what happens, that's, I think, the strongest element a series can have is when it convinces you something you don't care about and just does it in such a passionate way. So this moment of Senku kind of like stoically talking about how light was used to conquer the darkness. 24 hours a day, we had light. And in this moment, in this stone world, for not even a second... The entire world saw the light of science. Just this build up to this huge two page spread where you see a light piercing the darkness and they're, uh, you know, uh, not Chrome. What's his name? Um, the other science guy. Gen. Gen. No, no, um, the bad sorcery dude. Uh, Gen. No, Gen is the, the. Chrome. Chrome. Is it Chrome? I thought. Chrome. I don't know why. I thought Chrome was his own. All right. So it's Chrome and Senku and seeing their reactions to it. Like you see Senku's determination there and you see Chrome's just wonder across his face. Like this is where having a great artist really just carries everything in this. Um, and I love it. Like this is such a powerful moment despite it being something that like, I, I'm not like a science guy. I don't really particularly find wonder in science the same way a lot of people do. But it's when a manga can kind of convey that feeling that you're like, I mean, you, you can't help but love it. It's just such a great moment. Well, you know, the light bulb was only invented less than 150 years ago. So that's a big thing that they just accomplished. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, and we get a little bit of flashback from Senku's perspective where, you know, he learned about electricity. I love the, the very straightforward how advanced Senku is thing. Cause, you know, he's got this, but this biography of Edison's and he's learning about electromagnetic force and gravitational force and all that stuff. And he's reading this huge volume. He's got all these other books stacked on his school desk. Meanwhile, the teacher is like five plus three equals eight. <laughs> Um, but Senku, you know, is thinking to himself as he's doing this, you know, we, go we are going to create a civilization from scratch. We will be the Adam and Eve of this stone world. I was reborn in this evil world, naked and alone. Now, one year and four months later, I've achieved this basis of science. I've got electricity. I've made it. The first step was getting this far. And he clenches his fist in triumph. And, uh, eventually they, uh... Uh, Chrome basically, I guess, has a revelation, I think is what's going on in the last couple of panels here. Yeah, well, I think this is a pretty big moment for him, because this, this is, I think, probably the most significant advancement they've made to this point. I mean, it's, it's noted that this is the biggest thing they've done, but I think there is definitely that attitude as somebody like him, who is sort of this, you know, stone age scientist thinking he's a sorcerer. You know, who has gone through all these things of like discovering magnets and, you know, uh, uh, Robin and all these sorts of things. I think seeing light for the first time would be kind of like almost a spiritual kind of re reawakening. They note that like Chrome is a scientist at heart. He just doesn't yeah. really know it. 
So this is I think this is meant to be that catalyst, that quote unquote light bulb moment, so to speak, of kind of realizing just what kind of world he's in and being so inspired by it. I was super, yeah. super impressed by that. It seems as though he like imagines the moment that Edison and everyone created the light bulb successfully. Or he can just he's able to know that feeling. I think maybe it's supposed to see, you're supposed to see like them having that moment when they create it and they're like excitedness and he's feeling that and he's doing like his pump up thing now about it. Because we see Senku's got it too. He's super pumped. So I think there's just a way of kind of expressing that these two guys, these two science forces are kind of reinvigorated by this discovery, which only lasted a moment, like an instant in time. Yeah. Like they haven't harnessed electricity to the point they have like a power plant. But that sort of shock is like what fuels them now. Like being able to see, like we saw it, we saw light in the Stone Age. <clears throat> I love this chapter. If, if I have not expressed it enough, I, I thought think this, this uh, that's quite clear. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought this was absolutely phenomenal. I was so stoked by this chapter. Um, I, I absolutely love what this duo has been able to do together. Uh, it's so different from what I expected this series was going to be when it first started. I was not expecting this to be like a series where each chapter they show us science. <laughs> like, okay. Science but, rules. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but like everything they do is, it just feels so earnest. Like there's so much heart behind it. The humor of the characters is just fantastic. It's been doing exceptionally well in Japan too. Yeah. Um, so I think we're going to get a whole lot more of it and I'm, I'm very excited to see where this all goes. This is a, a fantastic chapter. Yeah. All right. Let's move on then to, we never learned chapter 29, yes. a genius reaches X after an exhaustive search. So we got another Ogata chapter, which is, uh, yes. I think a good thing. We, we, we get a lot of Takamoto and every soft we pop in with, uh, Fumino, but we're going to touch a little bit again on Ogata. And it starts with Ogata in class, and she is... It's distracting me that you have the drink with the entire McDonald's uh, fucking cup holder in your hand. It's preventing my hand from getting moist. True that. Uh, so Ogata... <laughs> I, I feel like this is what an alien would do. Like, he's just like... Yes, well, I have the cup holder. I have a shake, <laughs> and hold, and I'm using the holder as you humans do. Yes, your cup holder, and drink from it. <laughs> uh, so Agata is in class, and she's working on something, and she uh, sees uh, uh, Uega come up, and she's like, "Oh, hey, you know, I'm glad you're here. I have an important question for you uh, on line two of this." And then Uega goes in to kiss her, and then. Pop! She uh, wakes up out of her dream, falls backwards out of her chair, and uh, hits the ground. We find out uh, Ogata is currently studying kisses because I, I could see why there'd be an application to this. I don't know if I've ever had a class that examined symbolism to this sort of extent in things. I think but... that she's not assigned to do this. I think that she's only doing this because she's been having this dream. That's possible. That actually, that could be the meaning of it, because she is basically researching the significance of kisses. Well, a kiss versus an indirect kiss, a kiss in one moment as opposed to another. She's trying to understand it. I, I, I do like this approach to Ogata as someone who is trying to, she's an analytical person trying to understand humanity subjects, and she is like just taking it in the most robotic scientific way as possible of just like, 
What is good kisses? Research must be done. Yuiga, I have thought about us pressing our lips together the way that humans do. <laughs> How will we exchange protein strains? <laughs> uh, so, we're back in the real world now. This isn't, a, this isn't her dream anymore. And everyone's super excited because finals are done. Yay! But there's still, you know, a lot of studying and stuff to do because entrance exams are, are going to be, you know, right around the corner and everything like that. Uh, but Ogata goes to Yuiga and says, hey, can you help me out with something? I'm having difficulty answering a question. And he's like, sure, absolutely. I'd love to help. And she's like, cool. Here are some movie tickets. <laughs> so they go to the cinema Esprit? Esprit? Esprit. What's Esprit? I don't fucking know. Huh. I like, in my mind, I see it and I'm like, it's like some Final Fantasy thing, like, like spirit summons go into the screen, like it's like a Tom Cruise summon who comes <laughs> into the screen and he's like, Mission Impossible then? <clears throat> esprit, the quality of being lively, vivacious, or witty. Okay. Or es- esprit. Esprit. My mistake. Yeah. There That's we how you say it. Esprit. Esprit. Cinema esprit. Only Ben's like, cinema esprit. All these tacos destroying the colon. So, Yuenka is like, okay, um, I don't know why we're seeing a movie. Uh, you know, I guess it's important to still see movies. I don't have a lot of time to see movies. I mean, we're close to finals, but yeah, fucking Nick is over there capturing the full. Oh, got to experience. <laughs> and uh, he's just like, you know what? Fuck it. Uh, you know, I'm here. Let's uh, let's enjoy this. And he's uh, really getting into this love story between Anthony and Amanda. And uh, he's like, well, I don't really like these movies. This is what she likes. And he starts, like, getting more and more into it, <laughs> which I enjoy till like, it gets to the end and there's the big, like, passionate kiss. And at first he connects with it because obviously it sort of it reminds him of the kiss that he shared with Ogata since they're you know she's right there, uh, and he's just kind of thinking like, well, this is awkward. But then it ends and he's like clapping. He's like, bravo, bravo, amazing! Thank you for bringing me to this movie, Ogata. I truly see why you wanted to see it. And she's just like, okay. <laughs> oh, get one. That's one of the most expressive faces that we've seen her make. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, he's just like, oh, like, so was it boring for you? And she's just like, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know who Anthony and Amanda are. <laughs> she makes a very good point. <laughs> like, she's just like, but I don't know them. Why do I care Why about their I be love? invested in their lives at all whatsoever? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to sit, I'm like, I wonder how this girl's going to do in humanities, because that feels like such a weird hump to have to get over. You're just yeah, like, I can't I relate to the characters in the book. You're like, or sir, I don't care about Willie Loman at all. I don't know who he is. Uh, but they, they're noticing like, oh, well, there's this girl crying in front of you. And Yogata's like, oh, I guess a normal girl would be moved to tears like that. And, you know, he goes like, hey, you know, no worry about it. Everybody's different. It's nothing to worry about. We, we see, we cut around and we see that it's, uh, uh, Seikijo? Seikijo, yes. Seikijo. And she's crying. She's like, oh, love is so sweet. Next time, I'll invite Ogata to come along. <laughs> Do you feel as though, I would say pepperoni, but sausage will be an acceptable, is it, was it one topping or two toppings? Do we agree? <laughs> We're close, Nick. We are, 
right on the cusp of it. I'm just it saying. Over till it's over, Chris. I'm just saying. I'll send you a couple phone numbers for for pizzerias in my area. It's going to be good to have them on hand, just in case. Can we can we recap exa- what the exact terms of the bet were? Uh, to my knowledge, I will give, I, I will give you a pizza if if it's kind of revealed that Seiki Joe definitely has the hots for Ogata that she right. is she's in she is, she wants Ogata romantically. Mm-hmm. So So we haven't this quite This is not 100% verified but definitely things seem to be leaning in your favor at the moment. So I might have to get out my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes on you, Josh V. I like pineapple pizza. Ha. All right, so they've they finished the movie. They're outside, kind of discussing it, and Eureka's just like, "So, you know, what was on your mind? Why did you want to go see that movie?" And she says, "Oh, I chose it because the internet said it had the best kissing of any movie playing right now." And I love Eureka's reaction, just like, "What? <laughs> Say what now?" Like it's like all over his face and shit. He's just like, uh, he, just, "He doesn't wipe his face clean for for like an entire page." <laughs> he's just like, "Ha ha ha!" Oh God, to the way you said it makes it sound like you just wanted to see some good kissing. She's like, "Correct. Yeah. I must know the best forms of kissing studied throughout all of human history for their significance." <laughs> oh my fucking! This character's great in these moments. <laughs> Uh, and she's, she reveals, she's like, you know, I've been having the same dream over and over again, and it's related to kissing, and last night it was especially vivid, and it left a really strong impression on me, that's all. The more I try to brush it off, the more I wonder what it signifies from a purely rational perspective. I thought I could research kissing on the internet and in movies, and perhaps find the answer. I wonder how bad her research of kissing via the internet went. <laughs> I can only imagine the things that got pulled up there. <laughs> Well, she, I guess that she, because she went for romantic and kissing stuff, she, as a result of that, she actually probably managed to avoid all the porn out there. <laughs> she finds a little bit, she's like, why should I be aroused? I don't know this spontaneous <laughs> ecstasy. <laughs> why should I care if James Dean is giving her the wood? <laughs> oh, that guy's a real asshole, by the way. Oh, he is. He's he's a scumbag. Uh, but he was he's like the first porn star's name I could think of. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's. I, I, you know, I guess like, all right, I get it. You know, she has her own weird brand of logic, but I understand what she's kind of saying, and it's you know, <laughs> death one in the chat says she just discovers all those kiss anime and kiss manga things. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's saying, like, Why would anyone want to read this stuff illegally? <laughs> the officials are so much better. <laughs> uh, and, you know, Uega's like, yeah, it didn't seem like you reacted to the movie, but that was sure was some kiss scene. And I, love, I love her fucking response to these things. Yes, their mouths were touching each other. That's all I got. <laughs> he's like, holy shit, you need some water, girl? You fucking dry as a desert over here. <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> He's like, so, uh, you know, I don't understand this dream of yours. Were you kissing someone in it? And, uh, she's just clams up very suddenly. And she's like, hey, uh, <laughs> actually, this is sort of weird. Oh, okay. I realized what happened here. He, she's saying something. He's drinking. And he's like, huh? Orange flavor. And he realized he took her drink by mistake and took a sip out of it. So it's the indirect kiss thing. And, in that moment, they've kind of pulled together close just by pure coincidence. They they back away, obviously, because they're nervous. 
And, uh, you, Ogata is like thinking about why this dream, why does this keep happening to me? She, she analytically, analytically needs an answer. She can't deal with this. So she's trying to figure it out. And she's like, uh, Uega, if we try it again, we might find something out. And Uega's like, what? What do you mean? And they're on stairs. He turns, cause he's not sure what she's saying, turns, and it seems they kiss. We don't know. There's no sound effect to that page. We don't see it happen. I am 99 point something percent sure she just leaned forward and kissed him. Like, maybe something happened otherwise, but I'm pretty damn sure that she yeah. kissed him. It's worth noting, though, we don't see it quite yet, so who knows. But the idea is something happens there. Very likely, it seems like she gave him a kiss. And then she walks away in complete silence. Neither of them say anything. The only thing they make very clear is the sound effect of... The, you know, footsteps as they walk away from one another. There's the train going over the bridge above them. Yeah. So. It's, uh, a pretty, uh, this is a very cool chapter, I think. But, uh, what'd you think, Nick? Oh, it was really great. Uh, I, I actually really like the panel, uh, where she kisses him, the way that it's drawn and the way that it's, uh, staged, I guess, uh, because, you know, she's so sure. So in order to give, her that ability to actually effectively kiss him and catch him off guard during it. They're going down the steps. Um, I liked the, I really liked the jokes in it. I like how far it goes in order to establish just how completely clueless Ogata is. Um, and some of the punchlines are just really good. Uh, like, you know, where she just fly out says like, yes, I chose that movie because according to the internet, it has the best kissing scenes in it. That just makes it sound like you really want to see some good kissing. That is correct. <laughs> I'm curious how kissing is expressed through humans with their mouths and lips with one another. Excuse but I also me? just like the way that Ogata's character is portraying this chapter where, you know, she is fully aware that something is going on, but she doesn't understand it, which ties into that thing that we've known about her character from the beginning, which is she just doesn't understand human interactions and all that stuff. Um, so to take a character that that's, that's that cartoonishly ignorant and uh, take this very sweet approach to it is actually really nice. It's convincingly portrayed, too, because I feel like there's a way that you would portray, like, a supercomputer trying to understand humanity that would feel unrealistic, that would feel hollow. But she has enough humanity to her that I don't, like, it doesn't feel like I'm literally watching a robot try to comprehend things. We can see where her humanity is currently, but we also understand her thought process things. Like, I, I just like that it's not boiled down to being a complete, fa- like, flanderization of a character or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are saying, like, oh, nothing's going to happen because I've got to do that before. It's like, well, that's, that's not really the point. I mean, it would be very easy for them to do this and then tear around and say, like, oh, God, just like, I was just curious to see what I could find out. You know, it's very easy to back away from this. And I'm not saying that they're not going to. But it's a, it was a cute scene. So. I think also there's a level that we kind of have when it comes to a harem series where we see any sort of significant scene like this and think like, well, it's a harem series. It's not ending next week, so nothing doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We've already seen that this series has actually kind of bucked a few trends with that in that, yes, it's a harem series. It, it may go on for 200 chapters without ever giving us a resolution, but it certainly has not def- like shied away from the fact that these characters are recognizing feelings exist. A lot of things will pop in to kind of misdirect it from being a full connection, but like... Takamoto realizes she likes Uega now at this point. And Uega realizes Takamoto likes somebody else. You know, the, the full connection to them, something that, you know, Harem series is, is hanging up on. But Ogata even more significant. They've shared a kiss 
and both have recognized this fact. It's not like they, they went to a Eternal Sunshine machine and like just wiped it from their mind. Like that's something that's just different. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, um, Chitoge and Raku shared a kiss in chapter three and just never fucking talked about it for the longest time. Like it's, the series has got a different way of kind of handling this, this relationship. And it's, it's interesting just to see where it goes. I, I think you can't have to wait for the, like big conclusion to kind of happen in this relationship. Yeah, it's a harem series. It's going to delay its end, but the development's still been there. And we'll see where it goes, you know. Yeah. Like the chapter a lot, though. All right. <clears throat> uh, okay, then we shall move on to the promised Neverland. Time Last to get time. stoned! Because there's a lot of rocks in this place. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> It's chapter 53, B0632, part three. Uh, I like the color, the uh, cover page with uh, Emma running around, surrounded by owls. Very, very, very nice and Ooh. mystical looking. Emma. No, hoot. I was making an owl sound. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was so sure you were saying who. <laughs> it must be my convincing owl impression. Next. Ooh, that- <laughs> That'll be my next fucking One Piece character. <laughs> like Baron, T- along the same lines of Malk Warburg, it's Baron Tavago. It's an owl as fucking Charlotte Lidlin. Ooh. Ooh. Smash, 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 smash. Ooh. Ooh, cake. <laughs> so everyone was in the Bureau 632 shelter last time. They came across a guy that Nick was convinced had a bit of a paunch. No, it was just the way that his fucking shirt was resting on his waist. He's trim as a fucking stick. Um, God damn the unrealistic body types in fucking The Promised Neverland! Look at the fucking way his fucking mouth is opening. How is a real person supposed to match that? <laughs> ah. Hashtag mouth gap. <laughs> Uh, um, all the kids are freaking out because this guy has no manners because he's just going in front of them, I guess. But it's a weird thing for them to focus on considering that it's the first human that they've discovered in this fucking outside world. Okay. Well, he's also got his feet up on the table. Like he's slouched back, just like, like I can see why they're like, that would be their first kind of reaction to him is sort of a weird impression to give. Well, and also they make a note that the, of the fact that the cup that he's sipping from has a big giant hole in it. So, like, so he's not actually drinking anything? What? Uh, anyway. Emma Flyout asks him right away, hey, are you Mr. Minerva? Nope. I'm not William Minerva. And he's not here. Uh, can we talk to him? Nope, he's not here. Sorry, but Mr. Minerva's not here. And the kids are like, "That's Mr. Minerva was alive." Can we address one thing though? All the kids see this guy and they're like, "He's a weirdo." Nothing like except except for the one fat kid who's like, "Mm, "Cookies." (laughs) Like I'm like, "Oh, it's me in the manga." (laughs) I'm just like, "Oh, cookies. Can I have some cookies?" (laughs) Why is it like the fattest fucking kid with the fucking bowl cut has to be like, "Mm, "Cookies." They're like, look, we know it worked for the Goonies. Fucking fatty over here has to truffle shuffle every now and then. <laughs> hey, Porky, you want your cookies? Like, I do. <laughs> 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 
I don't know why that made me laugh so hard when I saw that. I don't think I've seen this character in the group till this point. He's like, I show up when there's food-related situations to have commentary on. Cookies. <laughs> He's going to show up. They're going to be like, we have to cross over this gap or the demons will get us. And he's just like, oh, I kind of want cookies right now. Like, it's just his thought process in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> throws a spear through his fucking head. <laughs> it's like, that's not cookie, that's a spear. <laughs> Everyone's like, fat chops, no! <laughs> Maybe he actually has very deep thoughts about this, but he's like a Pokemon and all he can say is cookies. <laughs> that's the only thing, that's his... Like, so they're, they're all Either Ray or Emma falls into a depression again, they're like... Come on, Ray! You're the smartest out of all of us! Yeah, Ray! We're not gonna leave without you! Cookies! 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 It was like, you know what? I should have brought Phil with me and left Fat Shops back at the bar. Just left this guy behind. He's got nothing to live for except for sweets. He fucks up every test by putting cookies and shit on there. I don't know how he's lasted this long. He's going to be the first one on the way out. We could have left him behind after telling him the entire truth. And then freaking mom would just said, there's cookies over here. Cookies! <laughs> you don't see him in almost any other panel. I just want this character to just be like the fucking, the fat chops of this group who just only had this one single-minded kind of vision for everything. Like Emma's talking like to fucking uh, the little girl demon last time, and she's like, "This is Phil, and he's so smart." And this is Fat Chops. He always talks about cookies. Everyone hates him. <laughs> I don't know why we fucking brought him with us. Fuck that guy. <laughs> I fucking hate Harold. He's like, "This is oh, my family, on, and I care about all of them. And I want us all to escape and live together, except for this guy, <laughs> except for Fatty Harold." He's just like, "Hey guys, does anybody have any extra pickles? I'll take them if you don't want yours." <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the chapter. <laughs> oh, so fuck. Um, so all the kids are like, "Mr. Minerva was lying," and Ray's like, "Shut up, come down." <laughs> um, and he just continues with this line of questioning. He's like, "Hey, so you know, but this means you know about Minerva too." What can you tell us about him? Do you know where he is? And, and the guy's like, I'm just going to lean back to about a, a 70 degree angle in my chair and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> and we just kicks the legs out from him during, boom! <laughs> tell us where he is! <laughs> um, the guy, uh, when Ray is like, hey, who are you and what are you doing here? The guy is like, who am I? I'm your upperclassman. And he pulls out his own pen. <laughs> Page 104, you can see a shot of Minerva, the guy that you grabbing a cookie, and Fatty Harold staring at it longingly. <laughs> <laughs> it's his face just like, oh. Oh my god. Oh, I love his character. Oh. Alright, let's go. Let's, let's do this. He says that yes, he is an upperclassman of the kids, although he is not from the Gracefield house. He then lifts up his shirt and shows off his own tattoo, similar to the serial number tattoos that the kids have, although it is not in numerics. It's in uh, bizarre lettering. Uh, like, it's, it looks like it says, like, eight 
E-Trim or something like that. And it's like one of the, I, I think it's like ETR 3M8 or something like that is the best way of putting it. I guess. He's like, my name's Extreme. She's like, I can kind of see most of it, but I don't see an X. The X is in my heart. She's like, <laughs> oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> You're a loser. He's like, shut up. <laughs> Uh, he's like, yeah, I, I escaped 13 years ago from a farm called Glory Bell with a whole bunch of other kids, and we used this pen as a guide. They're like, oh, he's just like us. Yeah, just like you kids. I came here looking for Minerva. <sighs> let me don my, let me reach into my coat pocket here. But he, we came here, but Minerva wasn't here. We waited and lived here, but he never appeared. I thought he was a freaking liar. And the kids are like, liar! They really don't like liars, do they? No. It's like the third time we've seen them freak out about this, calling William Minerva a liar. Well, I can understand. I mean, these are the kids that have kind of been led here under the impression that William Minerva is their savior. So mm -hmm. I could see why they'd be emotional on this. Yeah. Meanwhile, Ray's just like, oh, my God, shut up. I'm trying to listen to the backstory. <laughs> He's like, there's so much story here. He says he has an X in his heart. This is amazing. <laughs> That's so deep. I also have an X in my heart. My name is actually Zray. <laughs> X-Ray. <laughs> but I'll pronounce it like the real word. I pronounce it with my own word. I don't know if Zray or X-Ray sounds cooler. Hang on, let me get it. Oh, guys, here. quick quick impromptu panel. What sounds cooler, Zray or X-Ray? Shut up, Ray! <laughs> Cookies, you shut up too, Fatty Harold! <laughs> Emma just grows to hate every other one of the kids. <laughs> She's like, I hate all of you! <laughs> I should have stayed with those fucking demons! <laughs> Why couldn't Philip come along instead of any of you? He talked like Sean Connery! <laughs> At least you was up with what a dick he was. <laughs> Arch right, Smishy. <laughs> yeah, he's like, Mom, what you think of my macaroni house? I made a boat out of macaroni. <laughs> also, your bitch, make me dinner. I got the band cut out for the house. Cut back. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he would be doing something really cool and not sexist at all right now. <laughs> It's just like the roast is five minutes late. What's happening, Mom? Get your fat ass in the kitchen. Get the, get those scams moving. Like, wait, did this school have any good kids? What's happening? I mean, that's the thing to herself. I could have just, like, escaped with Norman, and that would have been it. It's so easy. Why didn't... Oh, God. Anyway... So the guy says to them, yeah, we've got water, food, electricity, space to live, all that's here. Even information materials about the world. Thanks to Minerva. And so they're like, oh, okay. Where are your friends now? The guy's like, we just. <clears throat> <laughs> they died. <laughs> all of them. And now I'm hell. That'd be great. The table just breaks. He's like, oh, should have tried that first. Fuck. Ow. Oh, I have too many cookies. <laughs> I'm sorry. The chat makes me laugh. Josh V says, Fatty Harold of a dramatic death like page at the end would say, that's how the cookie crumbles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. The guy then makes a very goofy face because he's like, don't get depressed. I'll have a long time to go. Um... <laughs> And so he says, I have given up long ago on finding Minerva. Now I'm living here happily. What about you guys? Who the heck are you? And they're like, oh, we're, ah, you're the 15 kids who escaped Gracefield seven days ago. Nobody needs to explain that because I already know that. 
it's obvious. And uh, so they're like, how does he know about that? But he just keeps on saying, all He's I'm like, saying is... I read the news on my Palm Pilot. You just see Ray's eyes open. He's like, my hero. <laughs> <laughs> he sharks the biggest trends in technology, but still stays up to date. I have not used a Palm Pilot in literally <laughs> a decade. <laughs> That's why it's the perfect thing for Ray to feel like is the perfect technology of the new world. Jesus Christ. I have to stop. Just don't let me talk at this point, Nick. We have to get to this chapter. The guy says, how are you 15 newbie weaklings still alive without anyone dying? And they're like, what are you talking about? Well, see, there's water and food and rooms here, but they're limited. And I don't want my share to decrease. I'm the senior. I got here first. This is my home. And all of you guys are going to die. Eventually, surely, definitely, because you're weak. And they're like, I don't know easy. No, you will. See, you never stood on the edge of death. You think you can survive with just the most basic of basic knowledge. You're the very definition of ignorant and silly weaklings. You're all going to die. It's impossible to survive in this world. And he's, and Frey points out, oh, like the people that you were with? Yep, because they all died because they were weak and only I survived. Only I was able to survive for 13 years, just me. I learned the way to survive, to get rid of useless things. Companions are useless. Hope is useless. Compassion is useless. All of them unnecessary. And Emma gets really pissed off about hearing this. She is thinking to herself, of course, you know, about her friends, her family, what she's had to give up and do along the way in order to get here. And she's really pissed off to hear him saying all this. And the guy is like, no, it's true. He whips off his coat, pulls out a gun, and holds him at gunpoint as his hostage. And uh, he says, hand over the pen that you've got. I'll take it so you can't get back in here. You know, sorry, but I need you to leave. Give me the pen and go or die here. And that's the chapter. Hmm. So... Pretty sure this isn't quite these. This isn't quite what he's saying it is, um, because nothing in Promise Neverland is as it seems at first glance. Um, but uh, this is like, well, that that escalated very quickly, didn't it? He just holding her at a gunpoint. Okay, <laughs> it could be possible that this is all just meant to be a test to see what their conviction would be. It could be like, oh, he's like, if you're willing to let one of your people go, then you're not worth saving in my mind or something like that. We do also. It's a gatekeeper of some sort, maybe. And we do also know that the the, the, the kind of in, impression we're meant to get is that Minerva is not all that he seems. So even though this might not be Minerva, it could potentially be Minerva in disguise. It could be someone just directly working for him. Uh, but there could be just a dark tone to Minerva in general. Like we still kind of need to see what happens here. Um, but it is an interesting kind of way to take this, this initial kind of meeting between them. If this end up being like, if this does turn out to be Minerva, it's kind of like a funny story that the first interaction they have Minerva is him pointing the gun to Emma's head and be like, give me your pen, go. Also, this guy puts far too much work into grooming his beard, I have to say. 
You see the lightning bolt patterns in his fucking chin. That's why, like, Ray sees this guy and is just, like, in oh, vision. My God. He's like, oh my god, I can't wait till I have facial hair and I make lightning bolts out of my beard. If I let you kill Emma, will you teach me how to be as badass as you? <laughs> Can I be your teacher, senpai? He's like, well, you're not Japanese, we don't need to say senpai here. I say senpai to everybody! I'm culturally different! <laughs> I'm woke! That makes me unique. <laughs> I'm gonna come up lightning bolts and fire into my beard. <laughs> You're 12. How are you going to do that? <laughs> I also do, uh, I do wonder also about, uh, his glove, cause he's wearing a single glove as opposed to two. Uh, Michael Jackson RIP, Nick. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously that's all there is to it, yes. Now, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things about this character. Uh, we kind of get a lot of personality out of him immediately. Uh, it's just kind of one of those things where I, we could talk a lot about what might happen here, but I think it's probably one of those things where we need to see where this goes right now, because there's so many directions this could go. I agree. Um, it's definitely got to be one of those wait-and-see kind of things that we have to kind of do with Promise Never Planned. So. Yes. So, let's move on, then, to The Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter 233, Damage. Damage. So, I love the cover page here because it's the logo in between two panels, one showing uh, each one showing the tattoos of the two sins that were involved in this big battle between each other last week, where you see, uh, you know, uh, Melodius's dragon tattoo, the circle on the bottom and above. I don't remember if we've seen this one before. I probably have. We, well, we definitely just saw it in the most recent chapter when he was going full uh, high oh. noon. Uh, okay, I must have missed it there. I mean, it's obvious who it is. It's the the demon pride or the the sin of pride lion face that you know would make the most sense, obviously. But you see the two tattoos of them that are clearly on their fallen bodies. It's just kind of like a cool way to show like the savagery that just sort of happened, and that's a big element of this chapter because that was the end of the fight last week when uh, uh, Escanar went full high noon and uh, managed to take down Melodius. And now we see, uh, essentially, uh, Merlin is just, like, transporting uh, Melodius's, like, unconscious body forward as they continue on towards Camelot. And Elizabeth's like, hey, let me heal him. And Merlin's like, no. If you heal him, (laughs) he gets back up and no one will be able to stop him. Who's going to stop him at that point? And Escanar's laughing. He's like, ha, 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 I'll take care of him no matter how many times it takes. And, uh, this is sort of a weird exchange. It's like that fucking Chad, like, Ichigo line thing where, uh, 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 fuck, I'm forgetting her name right now. The giant girl. Diane? Diane. Diane's like, yep, Escanar's the strongest man. We can count on him. And Escanar's like, what? Oh, I just, I didn't think you'd say something so foolish. So obviously foolish. And she's like, huh? <laughs> but, uh, he just says, oh, isn't that right, Berlin? Shall we... Uh, Merlin's just like, oh, okay, should we, uh, dispense with the pretense? He's like, what do you mean? And she just like, bumps him on the chest, and he's like, boom, his face bent by down. <laughs> and I love, like, Merlin, like, dusting off her fucking dress afterwards and shit, and everyone's like, holy shit, Merlin just beat him in one punch! And Hawk and Diane are, 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 are like, does that mean that she's the strongest? <laughs> <laughs> I do love that. Uh, and we get a, a, a a, a brief moment here between Elaine and Bon, where Bon is, or Elaine's kind of noticing that Bon is in really deep conflict right now, uh, because he wasn't able to really be helpful in that last encounter. He's feeling kind of useless. Uh, she's trying to comfort him by saying, like, you know, I'm sure he doesn't think that, 
you know, don't you agree? But we're left kind of with an ambiguous tone to that as the chapter continues. We don't really know what Bond's up to at the moment. Mm-hmm. So inside the uh, the boar mat, is that the name of their boar cross? hat? Boar hat, that's right. Uh, inside, Merlin kind of explains the situation. And it's sort of strange because I, I guess it's kind of interesting because they essentially show the, like, unconscious forms of both of these two and detail the damage done to the other, the other on the one. page. That it, was, it was very confusing when I read it the first time through. I, I can see why you would do that, because it does kind of express, like, you see this person, how fucked up they are, but are hearing about how damaged the other one is. It just kind of goes, I guess, to exemplify how much both of them kind of threw their bodies on the line in this fight. But, you know, they mention Escanar took more of the serious damage, Sun signs of powerful magic. Uh, even if, you know, he used so much strength to beat the captain, it's, it's dangerous because he's been basically expressing all that strain over the years. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me if this is a mistake and the, the like, dialogue was supposed to be swapped over on the pages. I don't know, but I can understand the logic to this as well. Uh, but then they say, like, the captain's in far more danger, though, because he always had all of his emotions robbed. He's referring to the old Melodius, and he's becoming even stronger than he was then. As is now, if he wakes up, there is nobody to stop him at this point. Like, he wakes up for a brief moment, and Merlin brings him back down, but she says, like, I'm, I'm about to lock him in a box. Like, that's the only option we have right now. But uh, Elizabeth's like, no, if you do it, put me in there with him. And she's like, all right, fine. That fucking locks him in the box, the two of them together, and says, I'll be watching just in case anything happens. But the rest of you, you guys need to head to Camelot. The Seven Deadly Sins need to stop the Ten Commandments. You guys need to go. I'll be waiting here with uh, Escanar. When he recovers, we'll find some way to get the captain back to his own self and join you. But for now, King Diane Gouther, this is in your hands. And you'll notice, no Bond there. He's not in this moment. So, nope. who knows where Bond's going to be when all is said and done here. So, we kind of get a little bit of a an end sort of moment there as those three characters kind of have to acknowledge... Everything's on them right now. The condition of Melodius, everything else like that. Um, you know, they're a bit worried because they don't know what the chances of Melodius coming back are, but they do kind of find a conviction to go forward. You know, they're, they're supporting one another in this. Mm-hmm. And the last thing we get here is this eyeball demon motherfucker who is floating around, watching all these things. Uh, he sees a giant centipede demon with a huge nose and lips that just, like, runs through and starts breaking shit up. <laughs> uh, he's 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 trying to get out of it. I guess this is what something Merlin created, because he's talking about the Merlin. The thing is, is uh, Merlin's scout thing we've seen a couple of times before. Okay, all right. I, get, I guess I get confused because it looks so demonic in a world with demons as the enemies right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, the eyeball's like, ah, what's going on? Won't you tell me more about what's happening here? And, uh, then we see the eyeball has, uh, wrapped around Arthur Pendragon's hand. And, uh, Arthur is, uh, here to take back his city. So, here we go. We got Arthur yeah. in Camelot. The team relies now on Gauther, Diane, and King to... To try to take this forward, no one knows it's up a bond. The other two are out of commission. Yep. So it was, it was, it's an effective way of, of uh, you know, 
kind of protecting the seven deadly sins, I guess you could say, like giving you a, a, a thought of, oh, this will actually be tough because they're not all there at full strength. So, um, I like that we got that very significant sort of moment of saying like, oh, hey, that was the, uh, that was, you know, uh, Escadar beating Melodius in that moment. That, uh, Escadar in that like hot second of being at high noon, he is the absolute strongest there. I like that. I like that it was like a way to kind of just show how crazy powerful that form is. Because it really gets you excited. And also leaving the door open because Meliodas, they establish, is getting stronger currently. Mm -hmm. So, But it has you excited then for the opportunity for when that might happen again in the story against a bad guy or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty stoked to kind of see where that goes. Um, I like the way they kind of established it, too, that since those two right now are out, you know, it's up to these three who are kind of, I think, becoming like the more emotionally interesting characters of the seven deadly right. sins uh especially since galther's kind of stopped being a dickhead <laughs> like i i i think Very those, important. yeah those are the three who it's really intriguing to see what they're going to do um but then you also have this this x factor of bond who's been in a really rough spot he's this is like his old man logan shit going on right here <laughs> he's gonna walk by grab a bunch of cigars from a fucking gas station you're just like oh bond how low have you gotten uh, but I, I like the dynamics that's set up here. Yes, it's you can kind of see like, all right, they they put these three out there, had them against the Ten Commandments, and then when things get rough, you know, the cavalry rise. Obviously, if Melodius and Escanar and Bond were there from the very beginning, probably wouldn't be much of a fight. But you know, this is a way to kind of taper that off while still making it compelling. It's I think the best way you can do it when you have characters who are essentially all gods in various ways. Basically, gotta find uh, different ways to take them down. Yeah. And I really like Merlin this chapter. I I I know uh, she seems for once like uh, the, the kind of way that she's supposed to. I, there's that. I I also just love this relationship she had. Like I love her like right like floating over to Escanar when he's just like, "What's going on?" She's like, "Let's drop the shit." What do you possibly mean? Bomb. And then like her dusting off her fucking dress afterwards. Like she's just like enough of this shit. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here with your nonsense. <clears throat> Yeah, um, it was a nice trans- transitional chapter, but that is pretty much what it was. I uh, also liked the sense that Elizabeth is going to continue to be useful. Yes. Okay, let's move on from that medieval fantasy uh, action story to the other. Uh, Black Clover, page one, two, three. Peasant Trap. Um, <laughs> that thing you made note of uh, with the king... Uh, just constantly like being like, he's just a switch that's, that's on, that's on or off and he's been off for quite a while. Now we're just like, what's going on out there? I don't understand. And then me there, all the wizard queen's like, oh, it's <laughs> 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 like He hasn't had that in a while. He's resting his voice. He's like, I know it comes at the end of weekly manga recaps schedules, so you know Chris's voice is hoarse. Then I can't get too animated too can't frequently. Do it all the time, <laughs> yes. Mm. Got to savor those moments. Uh, Zerks, fake Zerks, still, and uh, Asta are still uh, arguing because Zerks is like, you erased all the traps that I had set up. And Asta's like, huh? Well, I guess that's a problem. And then that means that you have to think of a strategy for us, one that'll let the three of us win. You know, because you're tricky and clever, so now you can figure it out. Like, Asta's face there, his pupils seem so small, and, like, they're not 
like in my mind, I feel like they're not looking in the right direction. Like he literally just looks like he's gone insane. He's just like, why'd you destroy my plan? So you can come up with a new strategy for us. <laughs> and then it was just like, course, wait, it's the opposite. Because people just get really big in the next one. <laughs> 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 oh man. So Zerks is like, hey, well, you know what? If you've got that ridiculous ability, why don't you just trash him with it? And Ness is like, well, once I've used that technique, I need to wait a while before I can use it again. Xerx <laughs> um, is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And Ness just you know, calls him out and says, I want us to fight as a team. So I don't care if you set traps yesterday. You have to let me and Mimosa in on it if you are going to use them like that. You know, we're fighting to get chosen as Royal Knights. So we can take down the Eye of the Midnight Sun. None of us can fight him alone. Not me. Not anybody. I want to work together with the awesome people here to beat other awesome people. It's a cool little moment for them, for him, honestly. Uh, this is, you know, I feel like a good use of Asta's general personality, I guess you could say. Um, and uh, Zerx has a flashback. Where apparent, apparently we learn his real name, but I'm not certain. Uh, he just, you know, envisions someone, a shadowy figure referring to him as Zora and saying like, Oh, the magic knights are amazing. Their ranks are filled with incredible masters. Even those knights can't fight alone, though. They believe they're companions and get through deadly crises together. Oh, Asta has reminded someone of something important. Doop. Um, so Asta goes through this whole thing. He's like, Hey, you know, let's do this. Let's, let's, uh, let's actually fight properly. And, uh, Xerx reaches out while Asta's still pointing his finger and just... <laughs> I love Asta's reaction, which is just... Ow! Um, Xerx says, alright, for the sake of my goal, I guess I'll use you, you little runt. Uh, and he goes on this brief explanation about how his magic works. It's like, yes, so... You know, I use ash magic in my specialties and trap skills. So, but big traps like the one that I used in the last match, I can't set those up quickly. Setting big traps takes time and mana. How much you put into them determines their power. That's why, like I said, I pulled an all-nighter. Which was actually the truth. Uh, and you went and trashed all of my traps. Thanks, asshole. Uh, um, so... But then he says, all right, there's three rough tra- types of traps that I could set up very quickly, though. I could do a binding trap, which will tie someone up. I could do a pitfall trap, which is literally you just dig a hole and drop the other guy into it. Or a landmine trap, which will activate an attack spell on a certain command. But they disappear after one use. Unless I take the time to pour a lot of mana to them, they won't be all that powerful. So what we gotta do? We cut over to the other team. With, uh, what's face? And what's her face in Magna? Uh, it's, uh, Kirsch. Right. And, and Soul, I believe. Right. Those names are the names that were somewhere in my head. I bet. So, Magna is like, ah, I knew he, that that Asta guy was practicing his techniques. You're telling us don't sell peasants short, right, Asta? And Kirsch is like, what? You're a peasant as well? He's like, yes. Is that a problem? And Chris is like, <laughs> Time to be stupid now! <laughs> I can't be a peasant. 
and he just flies off by himself. I'm sure this will work out great for him. <laughs> uh, I didn't like Kurt to begin with, so <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, he's just like, I'll just handle this myself. You guys protect the crystal. Um, to which Mars says, men are so dumb. Well, that one is definitely. I mean, I'm trying to think of as a good example of the series of a man who's not, I guess, Fiego Leon. That's it. I think that's the Fiego only, Leon. like, dude who's, like, Got it together. is it, like, an idiot? Like, is it, like, a crazy idiot, essentially? <laughs> so, yeah, Kirsch is, like, just floating through the air on his rose petal cloud, and he's thinking to himself, Ah, oh, peasants are those of me, Gamatic. That means they're unclean. Oh, the I get it. You don't like peasants. You're an elite. Ooh. Um, he spots Asta by himself and is like, oh, there he is, the filth boy! Goes to blow him away with an attack spell. Uh... Asta deflects a good amount of it with his sword, but it's starting to overwhelm him, so he beats a retreat uh, and ends up getting cornered in uh, this kind of cave in the uh, middle of the arena. And uh, Kirsch is like, ah, it's faint, but I sense magic. He must intend to lure me into a trap spell. Ah! So he uh, is like, I can see right through this and uh, behold my shadow clones. Just summons a bunch of weird cherry blossom clones, which immediately get uh, eaten up by uh, some landmine traps. And Asta's like, oh no, the traps! Curse is like, oh, do you think peasants is bold? Um, he approaches Asta, and all of a sudden, he falls into a pit trap. And he's like, wait a minute, but I erased all the trap spells. And Xerxes appears looking down at him is like, your magic detection has higher specs than ours and you lean on it. We're a low spec and this plain old trap we got all sweaty digging ain't gonna show up on your radar, Royal. And so Xerxes is like, you physically dug this? That's gross. Um, And he's like, fine, I'll just fly up out of this. And has this like, Propped his swords across the freaking pitfall to block him off. Um, and, um, yeah, Asta's like, yeah, just pass out for a little bit, will you? And, uh, he seems to just kind of, oh, he's not blocking him off. He's actually just falling through the pit and just kind of clobbering him with his swords. Yeah, he's okay. Bonking that's him. where the chapter ends. Punk. There you go. There's the chapter this week. All right. Yeah, I, I knew it on Twitter, and I don't want to go into too much more than that. I, I, all it's really is knowing is, I, I think Kirsch was a much more interesting character when he was, I'm going to make all of you beautiful, despite your ugliness and your, you know, maybe not the best executions of your magic. He was actually, like, legitimately helpful, and they kind of noted, like, that was sort of what made him smart and, and so, you know, exceptional, as he, he, he was very talented in that way. And then upon making it, that he's just like, wait, you're a peasant? Oh, fuck that shit. I'm out of here. I'm off on my own. It's just like, I don't know. It just makes him a far less interesting character, which is a shame because I was really looking forward to this matchup. But now I think it's just like, okay. I mean, they went. I'm actually, I like the teamwork they showed with Asta and Zerks, and I really like That's that. That's good, yeah. 
they are setting up that Zerk, like, I was worried Zerk was just going to turn out to be another shitty Midnight Sun character who wouldn't do anything. Eventually, Asta would beat him up. But I like the idea that they're kind of establishing as someone else, like someone more significant in the the story who may stick around or have another role. So I'm I really like that part. I just I wish Kirsch had stayed in the track they kind of established him at. And also, it's kind of weird that they just have they set this up like you know it's him going up against his little sister Mimosa, and she's not actually at all involved apparently in the way that he's being taken out of this match. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's the chance that maybe he's not done yet. That would be strange because he Possible. just he just took like a full fucking face of Asta's swords in the face and he talked about in his first appearance how he's like people who train their bodies are gross people so I wouldn't expect for him to get like clobbered in the face with two big swords and just be like pop back up oh no I'm just naturally swole yeah he's just like yeah oh oh, yeah we work on constitution we protect our heads helmets always invisible helmets um yeah I do really like the uh, multi-tiered plan that they set up in order to in order to trap him. That's clever. Um, but yeah, it, it is really severely dragged down by Kirsch just turning into losing all of his identity, basically, in order to get taken out like this. So, yeah. All right. Uh, let's finish up with One Piece, I guess. Uh, it's, uh, da, 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 where am I fucking going here? Chapter, I should have had this brought up. Chapter 877, Bittersweet. Yes. Um, which, uh, the cover page features, uh, Sai reuniting with apparently his previous fiance before he decided to marry Baby Five. Hmm. Awkward. <laughs> I want, like, the next chapter to be like, Sai's, <laughs> uh, Former betrothed says, you suck, and, like, uppercutting him across the planet, like, the planet and shit. Or, like, she ends up fighting with Baby Five or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, this starts off on a dark note. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, Brooke and Chopper fought their hardest to protect the Thousand Sunny, but they were eventually overwhelmed because Prospero stepped in and used his candy fruit. Brooke is being held uh, down while the candy slowly creeps up Chopper's body, overwhelming him and pouring into every hole on his head while he can't transform. And Prospero goes on like, I'm going to turn you into a candy man and lick you until you're gone. The candy will cover your entire body, then permeate you to your core. It will rob you of the ability to breathe, leaving you in total agony until the target is dead in three minutes. And this process is complete. A delightfully sweet candied corpse. Fuck. Dark as shit. Uh... Jesus Christ. <laughs> the, the irony of cotton candy lover Chopper dying via candy. <laughs> um, it's quite gross and uh, terrifying. So, yeah. And Brooke can only watch helplessly as his friend is being slowly killed, too. Yeah. Um, yes. So let's see here. It's moving along. Uh, Katakuri uh, notices something on the horizon and uh, calls out to Prospero, and he's like, oh, well, it must be Mama coming this way. All right, well, if she learns that there's no kick on this ship, she's going to slaughter me. 
Uh, so better make sure that we're, that, uh, we're in, pre- we're all prepared here and we're gonna, we'll lure her towards putting a cacao island. But as they approach, uh, Prospero's like, huh? Oh, oh shit. The straw hats are still alive and she's chasing after them while swinging her sword. Uh oh. Um, and Katakuri, of course, realizes, looks like the ones that the lightning wiped out were our own forces. Great. Um, I love his line here where he's just like, all of you, like all all the mooks, he's like, get in the mirror world. Because in mere seconds, you're all going to be lying at his feet. And it's, you know, he, he, we cut over to Luffy, who's still in the process of running towards the ship. But I love that imagery of using like his brief, like couple second foresight to just say like, Oh, Luffy is going to just demolish all of you in a moment. Yeah, like, it's such a commander's hockey. So. It's such a cool way of, like, showing that off and, like, yeah. still see that. Like, it's not even like Luffy's, like, right in front of them about to beat him up. It's the notion he's still running and he's like, oh, no, he's still going to whoop all you guys in, like, a couple <laughs> moments. Um, so they're like, okay, yeah, let's run into the mirror, you know, just in case. Da, da, yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh. Uh, Pedro, Kaza, Katakuri, and Prospero. And uh, <laughs> Prospero uses his candy powers to summon a candy maiden. Like an Iron Maiden made of candy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Obviously. Uh, Luffy, of course, tries to punch through it. Uh, and it kind of bends towards them. Uh, it's weird. It bends towards them with spikes and, and is trying to kind of envelop them. And, uh, you know, Jinbei warns them, hey, you know, let's, just, let's, you know, swing around them in order to get to the ship. And Luffy's like, nope. And he just uses his red hawk technique to melt through the wall, punches straight through it, uh, and keeps going on flying towards the ship. And pro- he, his fist meets, uh, Katakuri's as he stretches his arm out with his candy powers in order to meet it. Cool. I'm liking Katakuri more and more every time every ch- time he gets a chance to do something, honestly. Katakuri so. has definitely really made himself, like, a big presence of the Big Mom crew. Like, they, they established, like, the generals were all kind of big deals, and we had that whole thing with Biscuit, I think, or Crack, or whatever his name was at the start. Right. But then, between, like, Smoothie and Katakuri, we hadn't really seen as much with them, and all the other, like, Suns, generals, things like that. It kind of had like intermittent moments of kind of coolness, but Katakuri's really like building himself up to like, okay, I wonder what kind of fight he's going to have with somebody at some point mm-hmm. down the line. Like that seems like a really kind of cool thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And Jimmy's like, hey, we have to get away. Get Katakuri off the ship so that we can get out of here. And then he's like, I got it. They came through the mirror, right? And uh, he starts launching his hawk gatling and Katakuri on Katakuri. Nice, cool little shot because, you know, he's made of candy, so you see, like, one of the impacts go through his head. I am kind of curious about something um, in in terms of Katakuri here, because they, they sort mm-hmm. of mention that Katakuri is something similar, like, he seems to have similar powers to Luffy, right. and... Okay, so he's a mochi devil fruit. That's what his is. Right. So there's an element to One Piece that has been kind of understated in the devil fruits that there was eventually revealed to just be devil fruits that are stronger versions of other devil fruits. Like, there was specifically noted there is, like, um, Miss Valentine had, like, oh, the kilo fruit, and then that one guy from Dressrosa had, like, 
just a fruit that was even more powerful. It could make you weigh even more, essentially. And on one end, I was like, that seems almost, like, kind of lazy to a certain extent for Moda, of just, like, it just is not, not lazy as much as it's just, like, not very creative. But I'm wondering if this is meant to kind of be something that's going to get more focus, and maybe it's sort of showing, like, oh, hey, this is a guy who basically has Luffy's fruit, but a stronger kind of version of it, because it also is almost a little bit like a Logia in that way that, like, attacks will, like, pass through him and things like that, you know? Um, mm. It just seems kind of interesting or worth noting that he seems to be, like, able to do a lot of the same stuff Luffy can, but there's more to uh-huh. it. Uh, while Luffy is attacking Katakuri, uh, Pedro, while they're kind of running, almost sort of pulls Carrot aside and says, hey, listen, I've got, I've got a suspicion here that Luffy and his friends are those whom our people and the Kozuki clan have awaited for centuries, the ones who will guide us to the dawn of the world. And Carrot's like, what are you talking about, basically? Um, but we kind of wait before we really get more details on that. It kind of plays into something that happens later in the chapter. Um, we see Nami is kind of instructing Jimbei on the deck of the ship, trying to explain to him how they're going to use the Kude burst to get away. And Jimbei's like, Kude, what? <laughs> um, yeah, so, and cause she says like, yeah, if we sail normally, we're gonna get sunk right away. We need to get the hell out of Dodge immediately. And sure enough, Mama's on the ship and she is not on the ship, but she's right there on the shore, very close to getting, uh, to the ship. Um, Jimbei is also trying to reach out to Brook and Chopper, who are still coated in candy, completely paralyzed, unable to help or move. Um, and Jimbei says, it would be a bitter escape indeed if you died in the attempt. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) Don't die, that would suck for us. Yeah, that'd be a super big bummer. (laughs) I'd feel kind of bad, it would be a real bummer. Um, let's see here. They receive a warning from, uh, mom's fleet led by Minister Amanda. Uh, telling them, hey, stand down because we're going to fucking take you out. Being closed in on from, from land and by sea at this point. Nami is trying to move barrels of cola around to get the coup de burst ready. Uh, Luffy is still fighting with Katakuri when suddenly, uh, what's, what exactly happens here? Grabs him, he lurches his hand through him. Man, it's really hard to tell what happens in that one panel. Oh well. Um, but they, they realize because the ship lurches that they're stuck in hard candy, and Peros was like, yes! I used my candy to surround the whole ship! Dick. Um, and he's, uh, let's see here, as he says, uh, Will they be pounded by Mama's fists first, or will the bombardment sink them? But Pedro suddenly dives in and attacks Prospero with his sword, and uh but Prospero immediately knocks him down, pins him under his foot, and he's like, whatever, I've got a 700 million b- bounty, what are you going to do? You're nothing compared to me. Uh But Pedro whips open his coat, he's got freaking sticks of dynamite on it, he takes his cigarette out and says, oh, this should be sufficient to undo all your magic. And he just lights them on his on his coat, and Carrot is watching on while he does this. Remembers his words from quite a long time ago at this point, uh, saying that he had a feeling that this would be his final voyage. And he lights up the dynamite, 
and thinks to himself, one day you will understand the true importance of keeping Luffy and his crew alive here so that their voyage can go on. Listen to me. You keep moving onward. And there's a huge-ass explosion as everyone shouts out for Pedro, and it knocks the ship... Actually, It's so powerful that it actually knocks the ship away from where it was before. This is dynamite that he was carrying on his person. It's very powerful explosive. That's a lot of it, yeah. I also like the reactions that we get to see uh, right as he's lighting it, you know, from Luffy, then Jimbei, then Nami of horror and Prospero of like, oh, shit! <laughs> and then finally Carrot, who's got the most connection to him. So, a lot of things to kind of discuss on this chapter. Um, but I think the big thing to kind of bring up is the end here. So, I, I put this question out on Twitter, on the WMR podcast, at the WMR podcast on Twitter. I put up a poll. And I said, like, hey, I know we're going to discuss this on length of the podcast, but I want you guys to weigh in. Is the death in One Piece going to stick? Mm -hmm. Yes, that person's dead, or no, no one dies in One Piece, that sort of thing. And we actually had a surprisingly even sort of response to that. Pretty close, yes. No no was the ultimate winner, but it was about half and half. I mean, technically the poll's still open for right now, but the notion being that uh, I was somewhat expecting most people to say no, because that's sort of like the general sort of trope associated with One Piece. The characters don't die very much. That was, like, the joke back in the day before, like, Ace and, and Whitebeard and everything, that nobody really died in One Piece. Like, even minor characters we saw popping back up afterwards. Um, where, where do you stand, Nick? Do you think uh, Pedro's gone here? Uh, I think nobody dies in One Piece. Okay. <laughs> um, I definitely understand, uh, you know, because they were definitely heavily hinting uh, you know, bad things, especially with him having given up a whole lot of his lifespan uh, in it as part of his backstory uh, and history with Big Mom's crew. Uh, the note that he was predicting that this would be his last voyage and uh, stuff like that. Um, but nobody dies in one piece. So I'll see. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, yeah. So this is a tough one to call. I, I want to go right along with you and say nobody dies in one piece. It's a you know, part of it there. And Oda has sort of mentioned before he, he prefers to kind of have that ability to reuse characters again, things like that. Um, uh, but there's a part of it that's really kind of not entirely sure because one piece has been a different sort of story since that time skip, since that Marineford fight and Ace and Whitebeard dying. Mm-hmm. We have seen actually a lot more significant deaths since then, you know, Monet and Virgo, they're dead. They blew up in Punk Hazard. They're not coming back. Like, it's established. They are dead. So the notion being that this is a moment you can look to and you're like, oh, it's like Pell all over again. I want to say, like, yeah, and it'll probably have the same result as Pell, where Pell came back in, like, a fucking, like, the end of the arc kind of moment. And, you know, we've seen him in a cover page since then. But I don't know if that's going to be the case, because there's definitely been a shift in the story since then of the way Oda's kind of written it and and kind of had more ability to establish this sort of stuff. So um, I think there's a, a very interesting sort of length we can kind of go to here that, uh, you know, Pedro dies. It's a sad moment for Carrot. Who knows what they do with her? I- I've been hearing some people say Carrot could join the crew. I'm still not really sure if that's the note they're going with. Um I don't think there's enough to really build to her yet to think she'll join the crew, but there's still room to develop her. Well, it seems as though she is at least going to go uh, with them to uh, Wano. Yeah. So there's, I guess, that point she could, I guess, get more development there. But mm-hmm. um, 
Yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely up for debate, I think, whether or not Pedro will go. I could see a value to both. I, I like this final moment from him. I think it's kind of cool, like the cigarette, like pulling it out and just being like, uh, that should be sufficient enough and using that to light. It's just like a cool, stupid kind of badass moment. Um, I, this is one of those few I kind of hope he does die here because I think it is kind of like a cool moment to go out on. I know Oda has his thing. He could find a new way to kind of use this character potentially in the future, but it's one of those moments where, like, he also had, like, 50 years of his life already taken. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. We could, I guess, get to see, but uh, we won't find out for, I guess, uh, two chapters or so, or two weeks or so. Mm. All right. Uh... I like so, this chapter, though. I, I guess I should have stated it. I like this chapter a lot. I think it was very cool and fun. Um, I like how we're getting more from Katakuri. That dude's looking fucking intense. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yep. That said, we are basically done with this week. Uh, let's go over our favorites. And there are no shortage of uh, good ones to choose from. Favorite series, weekly MVP. All right. So... Favorite chapter this week. This is a tough one. This was a, a week of pretty much all good chapters. I, I'd say maybe Black Clover's the only one I wasn't crazy high on, but even that, I still mm-hmm. like parts of it. Yeah. Uh, so I think ultimately I'm going to go and give it to uh, Dr. Stone, though. I think that's the one that, when I read it, I thought was the most impactful to me. I was really like just caught up in that sense of wonder and that speech. I loved the art. Um, it was just a really cool moment there, but... Every chapter after that, like, kept challenging what I thought on what would be the chapter and MVP of the week. So it's when that's on. the first one you read, and then then it still holds on. That kind of shows you how impactful it was. Yeah, it, it, I felt it again when we were recapping. I was like, "This was such a fucking good chapter." Yeah, it's gonna be mine. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with Doctor Stone as well. Uh, I definitely had to give it some thought uh, because there were definitely a lot of good chapters this week. Um, we never learn a. I actually came quite close to doing it as well because it was an enjoyable chapter in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, the stuff with the stuff in Food Wars, setting up some really promising stuff. Uh, like you mentioned, that just the way that that chapter ended was really good. And, uh, My Hero Academia was a really good chapter too. But Dr. Stone, I thought was, it, it felt like it was the most complete, uh, and had the biggest moment out of all of them too. Uh, for my character, I'm going to give it to Ogata. Uh, I we've got was, a lot. We've got a lot of people calling for 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 fat chops now. <laughs> we try not to give it to our meme characters. No, <laughs> but I appreciate. It. Uh, I'm gonna give it Promise to Ogata. Neverland would win it. Would win every every yeah, week. At this like point. every week, it's like for that. <laughs> it's like oh Ray Ray hashtag Ray hashtag Ray fucking fed up Emma. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I'm gonna give it to Ogata. I was I was positive I was gonna give this to Mirio all the way through. But then through discussing that chapter and then you kind of just brought it up again, I was like, yeah, I guess Ogata really was kind of insanely, like, fascinating in this chapter, just really well executed. You know, I recognize that although Mirio had his cool heroic moment, uh, just the development you got out of Ogata and just how she was portrayed in that chapter was so strongly written that I really kind of just want to give credit to her for that. So uh, I'm going to give it to Ogata. I definitely understand that, but I am going to actually stick with Mirio for this uh, just the fact that he has like three different moments in a row that are all really good. Um, just a really cool fight scene, uh, great moments that show just what a ridiculous, you know, out and out superhero that he is. 
And, uh, no single character in this, uh, week of manga got me more pumped up than he, than he did. Uh, got me more excited and got better and got bigger reactions out of me. So I'm going to definitely stick with, uh, with him on that. Uh, yes. Uh, I should also mention guys, Pedro was also in for a big consideration for this week as well. Um, the only thing hurting Pedro is that I didn't have really strong feelings for or against Pedro to this point. So that was probably the only real thing holding him back there. Hmm. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week. So uh, let's wrap everything up. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We tend to record the show Wednesdays around 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, but sometimes we need to change things up. So stay following us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter. The podcast is at WMR Podcast. Chris is at Relozzi, and I am at Y Ruler of Time. You can also check our, our past episodes on weeklymangarecap.podbean.com as well as on iTunes and YouTube. And if you check us out on those two, be sure to like and comment and rate and all that good stuff to help us beat the woodworkers and become king of the hobby section on iTunes. Yes. Be sure as well to send in feedback, ask questions, and suggest future manga for us to read to weeklymangarecap at yahoo.com. Keep in mind that the next suggestion that we're going to be taking is going to be Halloween-themed because this month is going to be spent on Prince of Tennis. Next month is Halloween month. So if you've got good horror suggestions or just something that's kind of got a spooky vibe to it, anything that's kind of, you know, got, like, classical monster elements to it, it doesn't necessarily have to be just a horror because we've yes. done stuff like Rosario to Vampire uh, before. Um, but anything that kind of fits that theme, now's the time to be sending that in for us to consider your support allows us to create all sorts of bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Do you need me to check on that? Because I can do that. No, I got that uh, open. I, you got uh, that open. Yeah, it's been not loading for the longest time, but finally I did. So I want to give a special thanks to Dr. Goatman and Fish for being our newest patrons. It just says Fish. So uh, thank you very much, guys. The, animals are, the animal kingdom is now joining us. <laughs> the goats and the fish align with us. We got we got everybody in our corner, guys. No, we just need to get dragons. Yeah. Oh, man, that'd be pretty sweet. Next next patron's going to be fucking Rhaegar Targaryen. I'm like, it's, <laughs> it's the dragon, Nick. <laughs> that's not a dragon. That's a... <laughs> Rhaegar Targaryen. Yeah, he is. What was, his, what was, her, what was he named after? Rhaegal? Rhaegal Ray- is the dragon, isn't it? Rhaegar is the person. Rhaegar Ray- is the person. Rhaegal yeah. is, is the dragon named after Rhaegar. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, I've been Game of Thrones the last couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> But no, it's a lot easier. You. It's a lot easier to get into, to get up caught up with that show if you just watch clips about your favorite characters instead of watching the whole thing. <laughs> You're like, what's Davos been up to? Wow, that was pretty quick. But thank God he's alive. <laughs> Apparently, something really important happened with Bram. Whatever. Who cares? <laughs> you know what? This shit. <laughs> All this shit north of the wall can fuck off. I don't even care anymore. He's in the scene with Arya, so I'm sure that there's context to what he's talking about, but I don't care. <laughs> You're like, huh, I wonder why he brought up Sansa's rape. You know, whatever. I don't even care. I don't even, I'm not gonna, need to I'm not gonna worry about it at this point. The on scene, no need. Uh, and finally, special thanks to the guys who helped make us make the podcast what it is. Steve Mann or Tyler Cardass, you can check out his work in a bunch of different places. He's got his own Patreon, patreon.com slash Steve Mann, if you want to check out some of his more not-safe-for-work stuff. And if it's Planet, who doesn't do any not-safe-for-work stuff. Thank God. I, you know, I, I, I would have said that absolutely a while ago. Uh, but I recently got, uh, I was opening up my Skype, uh, like, received files folder. 
And um, I, 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 let me see if I can pull this up real quick. I have to remember how to even get to this. Uh, it does. It is really complicated to find this freaking receive files through Skype on your computer. Yeah, let, let me see if I can find it, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll go through. So uh, you I'm, can finish up here. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, in a few weeks, we will have Prince of Tennis. You assholes. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't sound like you're super stoked about that. I'm not excited. I'm just kind of angry. Uh, that's fair enough, I suppose. Uh, I I can't find it here, but I f- I found a folder that or a file that was just labeled World Trigger Fellatio, <laughs> and I was oh. like, I have to click this, and it was just the World Trigger cover with a giant penis put onto it, like you know, like uh, pixeled out, and then me with the big the big hat pose, like going oh, he right did that. in my mouth. Did he do that? Didn't he do that for his, like, changing opinions on World Trigger video? He used, he, he did it a long time ago. I, I think so. But I saw it in there and immediately started laughing. I was like, wait, World Trigger Felicia, why do I have this? <laughs> <laughs> it was a really good laugh. So sometimes, if it was planet, we'll do some not safe for work things. You never know. Anyway, bye. Yeah, goodbye. <laughs> hey.